excited to share about what God had put on my heart and what I felt he was calling us into as a church and, and kind of establishing this kind of focus on prayer and simply coming to Jesus and saying, teach us to pray. And, um, but I also shared pretty openly at that that prayer is not necessarily my greatest gifting and um, I can't stand at the front and say I'm an expert at prayer and um, I, I wanted to create space not just for us to talk about prayer but to kind of catch one another's hearts, to hear one another's experiences because it looks different for different people and so um, I'm going to ask Lorna to come up and there'll be different people at different times, I'm going to ask Lorna to come up and, um, and just share a little bit, I'm going to ask her a few questions and, and she's going to share a little bit of her experience in, in terms of prayer. So we can catch hold of, of that and hopefully we'll relate to some of it. Maybe we'll be inspired by some of it and, um, and yeah, God will speak to us through it. So thank you, Lorna, which is great. And she's not feeling her best, so I really appreciate her coming and, and putting herself out here. So kick us off, Lorna. Why don't you just share a little bit about what prayer looks like for you? It's everything. It's when I get up in the morning, when I say thank you for my day, when I see a bird in the garden and is sort of trying to find a worm. When uh, Nick comes into the room and he cracks a joke and I said, oh, thank you, Father, for God. It's those moments when there's nowhere else to go, when I can just petition to God for myself, for other people's sorrows and sicknesses. It's when I can find the time to not chat to him, but listen to him. And he leads me into a deeper relationship with him. He shows me things. He gives me words of knowledge for people. Sometimes he'll lay somebody on my heart and I'll pray about them. And then throughout the day, he keeps laying that person on my heart. So then I give them a phone call. And they say, I'm so glad you rang. And we pray and we talk about a situation. Prayer for me is my relationship with God. And the more I do it, the closer I get to him. And the more he can show me and he can use me in any way you want. Brilliant. Great. Okay, so can you tell us, um, it's always good to hear positive stories, so can you tell us a couple of your kind of joys in prayer? Just a couple. Yeah, just one or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest joy is being able to share about Jesus with people, and they look at you, and the Holy Spirit has convicted them, and then you can lead them in prayer to Christ. Mm. That is such an amazing joy. But the other one is those long, hard work prayers where you pray and you pray year after year and then one day out of the blue you get a phone call. My daughter rang me one day. She was in floods of tears. She said, Mum, I've got to come back to church. And, and that was just phenomenal. And though those other prayers that we've seen in the church, a young lady stood up here and she shared about how she'd even paid for her funeral plan because she was told she was in the later stages of cancer. But God had healed her. And the joy was just phenomenal. Yeah, amazing. Great. Okay, and you kind of hinted a little bit by talking about, you know, those long times of prayer. And maybe that's not it for you, but maybe just tell us one or two challenges in terms of prayer, things where it's not so easy. Um, one of the saddest times for me was when I was praying for my sister Donna. She had cancer, she'd gone through an operation, and everything seemed really quite positive. 
And I was praying, God to show me scripture of reasons why she should stay alive and why she should stay here with me, because I loved her and I didn't want to say goodbye to her. I cried, I petitioned. But then over the weeks, God changed my prayers. He literally changed them completely. And instead of praying for a life here, for me, and it was selfish, I wanted to keep her here with me, he changed my prayers. And he had me praying for our everlasting life. And he gave me the opportunity to share with her, to go up into her bedroom. And I said to her, Donna, you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. She'd already done that, but slipped away over the years. And I said, you need to seek forgiveness. You need to forgive others. And you need to come back to your Father God. After a few weeks, my brother is also a Christian. He said to me, she's rededicated herself, Lorna. And then uh, a major blessing. I'd walk into her room and I'd say, have I told you today I love you? And she'd give me a smile. And she looked up to Nick and she asked if Nick would read one of the Psalms. So God turned something really heavy on my heart to a deep joy. When I went to the funeral parlor and I sort of said my goodbyes, I was praying to God for her, for her soul, and I heard not, a, not an audible voice, but in my heart and in my mind, he said, today she's with me in paradise. But So the prayer was hard work, but thank you, God. He brought me to the real prayer, to the most important prayer. Yeah, amazing. One last question, and then I'll let you sit down. So you keep trying to hand me the mic back. <laughs> Not just yet. So one last question. So obviously we're kind of theming the whole kind of series on Teach Us to Pray. So if, if you could just kind of think of maybe one lesson that you've learned in prayer over the years and that you can share with us to help us. Keep praying. Keep asking. Um, I can be a little bit of a talker, but I just keep praying. I keep asking. And he keeps answering, and I thank him for that. Amen. 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 <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Lorne. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's great to hear, isn't it, Lorna's experience, and I hope that's something you can, maybe some of it you could relate to, um, maybe some of it you uh, was inspiring, and um, but maybe some of it just helped you to realize the, how real prayer can be, and, um, and how it looks different in different people. Why don't we pray now, and then I'll share what, what God's put on my heart. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the amazing privilege of prayer. Thank you for the amazing privilege of being able to come into your presence, and talk to you, and hear from you. And Jesus, we want to pray that that right now, Lord, as we fix our eyes on you, as we we look to you, this would be a time when we hear from you. Lord, that you would would be, be speaking by your Spirit into the hearts and lives of every single one of us here. Jesus, I pray that you would Take my words as weak as they may be and that you would work through them for your purposes. That our hearts would be captured by you and that each one of us would grow in prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brilliant. You know, I don't know... um,
you know, as I say, it's great hearing Lorna share and, and share something of her experience. But, you know, I imagine we all have different experiences when it comes to prayer. Um, and maybe different understandings of, of really what prayer looks like and what it is and how we, uh, how we go about it. Um, but as much as there's that, all, that kind of variety in terms of prayer, one of the things that always amazes me is that I imagine every single one of us, at some point or another, we've prayed. You know, whether we've kind of prayed in that kind of intentional way, where this is something which is a part of us, and it's something we know is about relationship with God, and it's something that we, we want to be doing, or whether we've just kind of hit that moment of crisis, that moment where, where things have gone wrong, and we've just simply gone, help and, and we've not really known who we're talking to or what we're talking to, but there's just something in us that's cried out to something out there, and we've just kind of had this unintentional prayer. But one way or another, I think probably prayer is something that every single one of us engages with and has some kind of experience of. And so when we see that, I think what we discover is that prayer is natural and it's instinctive. You know, there's something within us that just instinctively prays. And yet at the same time, I think a lot of us often wonder, am I doing it right? And when it is that we enter into a relationship with Jesus, as we kind of go on our Christian journey, I think one of the things that a lot of us ask ourselves and can feel pretty beat ourselves up about is, am I doing it enough? And I think that's why we need to take time to not just kind of keep going and keep going and we're just trying to to kind of go through life and just do stuff as best we can, but we need to take time out from that to stop and to say to Jesus, teach us to pray. What does this actually look like? What does it mean? How do I live this? You know, and as I've been taking time personally and, and kind of asking Jesus to teach me to pray, to, to grow in prayer, as I've been trying to take time intentionally, particularly over the last couple of weeks, and make time to, to spend with him in prayer, you know, one of the things that has been a, a challenging for me, you know, there have been joys in it. I've been encouraged through it. There have been great times, but it's not all been like that. And one of the things that's been challenging for me is what I've found is that my lifestyle impacts on me when it comes to prayer. Um, and I don't think I'm unique in this because when I talk with other people and when I chat with other people and when I ask people how they're doing, the kind of responses tell me that they have a similar lifestyle. And so I imagine that you guys, some of you at least, will have similar challenges. And, and what I mean by that is that, that when I ask people how they're doing, often I'll get a response along the lines of, yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm good, but I'm just really busy. You know, life just seems so full on at the moment. I just feel a little bit overwhelmed with it all. And that's kind of a fairly automatic response and something that I just come across again and again and again. And so often I think the impact of that kind of a lifestyle makes it really hard for us to pray. It makes it really hard for us to pray because it makes it really hard for us to stop. Not just physically, but emotionally and mentally and spiritually. We go through life and every moment is constantly filled up. And so we want to maximize every moment. And, and we, we, we kind of, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I, I get frustrated at the idea of wasting a second. You know, anything which has to stop me or slow me down or make me wait to get to what it is that I actually want to be doing, it just makes your blood boil. 
Here's a, here's a few ways that I see this in my life. Maybe you relate to them, and this will help you to kind of get what it is that I'm talking about. Maybe you've done this before. When I'm driving, and um, I'm going down, and there's a red light in front of me, and I can see the cars kind of starting to, to queue up in a couple of different lanes, I will look ahead, or if I'm congested on the motorway, I will look ahead, and I will try and assess which lane's going to move first. So you look at the make and the model of the car and the kind of judge, make a judgment. That's the kind of driver that's probably in it. So they're going to pull off pretty quick, whereas they're indicating. So they're probably going to be turning off there and they're going to be slow. So I'm going to make sure I go in that lane. Or if we're sat for a little while in congested traffic, then you're trying to pick the queue that's going to move the quickest. And so, and once you've made the choice, this is what I do. Maybe you do as well. I pick a car in the next lane and I use that car to assess how well I'm doing. And so if that car is, is behind me, I feel like I've won. I've, I've made the right choice. If that car moves ahead of me, or if worse gets out of sight, I feel like I've lost. And, and then I want to look for every, the first opportunity to try and move into that next lane so that I can get ahead, because I don't want to waste a moment. It doesn't just happen in driving, does it? It happens in queues. If you don't drive, it could be a queue in the supermarket. You're there in Aldi or in Asda, and you're trying to assess which checkout is going to get there first. How can I get out of here as quick as possible so that I can get on to the next thing that I, I want to be doing? And there's this kind of pressure to try and squeeze every moment to try and fit in as much as I can. That means that you, I kind of rush from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. I never want to be late for anything, but I don't want to leave so early that I'm wasting time. So you, you kind of try and cut it to that finding, well, I know it's going to take seven minutes to get there. So this is the time that I need to leave in order to get there on time because you don't want to waste a, a moment in terms of it. Another way that I can see it in me, and again, maybe you can relate to it, is this kind of pressure to fit in as much as I can and the way that it impacts me, not just in the day, but at the end of the day. And so you, you come home at the end of the day and you're too tired and too drained and your head is so full of all of this different stuff, the things that you've been doing, that actually the people that you love the most get the worst of you. And so what happens, in, in, in fact, is that People can end up being pushed aside and treated like a job. And so you, you do that by saying, get, making a game to get the kids to bed as fast as possible so that you can have your quiet time and you can have your space afterwards. Last thing that I see in myself that maybe you can relate to then is in those moments of quiet. In those moments when you plan in rest, because all of us know that we need to rest. We, we have this awareness that this isn't sustainable, and so we want to carve out times to stop. But, you know, I'm so used to living at pace and having my head full of all this different stuff that stopping and having empty space is actually hard. You know, many of us can't actually... We don't actually want to deal with how we're really doing, with what it is that's really going on. We don't want to process the things that we've been facing. We just want to escape from them. And if we actually stop and have an emptiness, it forces us to face things and to process. And so when we hit those quiet times, instead of us stopping, we just distract ourselves to escape. And so we fill that time with entertainment. And I fill that time with the next TV series or the video game or the book or going out somewhere with friends. You know, I'm just being real with you, but maybe 
Maybe it hits a nerve. Maybe you relate to it. Because I think there is this pressure within our society to make the most of every moment. And it's held up as a good thing to fit everything into life. And if you can manage it, then you've succeeded. And so we want to be able to describe ourselves as busy. I want to challenge you and challenge me. Next time someone asks you, I'll stop yourself from saying you're busy. Because the more that we speak it, the more that it becomes acceptable and the more that we live it. And to make it it worse, the demands on our attention never go away, do they? You know, we, we carry them around in our pocket. It's always there. Every time it bleeps, every time it vibrates, every time we pull it out and check it, there's another thing to, to do, another thing someone wants. And it leaves us feeling overwhelmed. And it means that as we choose how we're going to spend our time, what I think ends up subconsciously motivating us is how productive that thing will be or what we will get out of it. And because that's what drives us and we're so full of it, and the challenge is that when we come to prayer, we end up with the same two motivators. How productive can this be and what is it that I'm going to get out of it? And this could be that we're motivated by a a sense of of duty or obligation or kind of shame and guilt. This sense that that, that it's something that I have to do in order to, to almost feel like if I do this, then God will love me more and he'll accept me more and he will bless me more. And so so I've got to do it because it's demanded of me in order that I might see this. Or we're motivated by what we can get in the in the sense that if I spend time in prayer because because I want to see God do this or God do that. And, and so we've made prayer revolve around us. About us experiencing God's peace. About us experiencing God's strength. It's about God doing the things that we want him to do. And if we put in the time in prayer, this is what we'll get to see. And God wants us to talk to him about our needs. He wants us to ask him for things. He, he wants us to, to be able to bring these different things to him. But when it becomes the motivator for our prayer life, when the motivator for our prayer life is either duty or a need to see results, what happens is that we end up feeling distant from God and frustrated. Why? Because we've made our relationship with God a business relationship. You see, in a business relationship, you don't spend time with the person because you want to spend time with them or because you enjoy them. You spend time with them because you have to. It's a duty. And you spend time with them in order to achieve something, in order to see results. You know, there, there have been times in my marriage with Rosie when, we, you know, we've been going through a busy season and she turns to me and she says, when are we going to get some time together? I just feel like we've become business partners. 
And we will have been spending time together. And so I can look a bit confused and a bit quizzical because we, we have spent time together. But the reality is that the focus of our time has been on getting jobs done, has been on sorting the kids out, has, has been on everything that's productive. And when our relationship becomes focused on just the jobs and the things that need to get done, no matter how many hours we might be together, we still feel distant. If we want our relationship, our marriage to flourish, in order for us to feel close together and intimate, we need time together that isn't about achieving things, it's just about enjoying each other. And I believe that today, God wants to, to lift off all of the, the shame and the guilt that can drive us to feel like we, this is just a duty that we've got to do. That we're not praying enough or that we're not good enough to even come to him in prayer. And he wants to shift our focus from all of our problems and the, and the things that we bring to him to, to get him to do stuff. And he just wants to ask you, when are we going to get some time together? Stop stressing about being good enough or, or beating yourself up about the past. Shift your focus from seeing results and let's just enjoy each other. Because you see, as we begin to come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray, what I think we discover is that first and foremost, the, the heart of prayer is about relationship. It's about stepping away from all of the demands, stepping away from all of the distractions, and just coming to Jesus as who we are. Being honest with him, being real with him. You know, I think prayer is the natural expression of our love for God because it's that statement, that action that says, I just want to spend time with you. And I think we see this in what Jesus teaches and in what it is that he models for us. You know, when, when Jesus begins to teach on prayer, the foundations for prayer that he lays in Matthew 6, before he even goes on to talk about the Lord's Prayer, this is, is what he says in verses 5 to 8. He says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, there's a huge amount we can draw out of these verses. Jesus packs an awful lot in there. But if I had to sum up what Jesus was saying it would simply be that prayer is all about your relationship with your heavenly father. Don't be a hypocrite and put on a mask and try and, to be, and pretend to be something that you're not, to be someone that you're not, in order to impress other people or to try and impress God. Instead, take time out from the demands of life. Take time away from other people, away from the distractions, and go to a secret place where you can just go and be with Jesus, fully be yourself, and be real and honest with him. And we see Jesus model this. He doesn't just teach it, he models it. 
He models it again and again. There's so many verses you could pull out. There's just three of them. Mark 1, verse 35, we read, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. In Luke 5, verse 16, it says, Jesus himself would often, wasn't just an occasional thing, often he would slip away to the wilderness and pray. And in Matthew 14, verse 23, it says, After Jesus had sent the crowds away, he knew what demands were. He, he knew the pressures of life. He knew the busyness of, of people always being there and wanting things from him. So he sent the crowds away. He created a space. And he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. You know, what we see in what Jesus teaches and in Jesus' actions, what it is that he models is that we need to be intentional about carving out space and time to be alone with God and to pray. Now, whether that's in a room, that's what he teaches, isn't it? Is, is to go into a room and close the door and be on your own, shut everybody out. That's a great option. It's not what we see him live. What we see him live is, I'm getting up on that mountainside. I don't have a house. I don't have somewhere I live. So I'm out into creation and I'm going to be on my own in the middle of, of nature in the wilderness. And so what we, what we see and what he teaches and what he lives is that it's not so much about it, it having to be in the room or it having to be on a mountain, but it having to be a place where you're alone. It having to be a place where it's just you and God and no one else is around. And yes, we can pray anywhere, we can pray anytime, we can pray on the go while we drive, while we're doing this, while we're doing that. We can always be be praying. But if we want to grow in prayer, in the sense of growing in our deeper relationship with Jesus, and to have an intimacy with him, rather than just to keep going in a prayer that leaves us feeling distant and frustrated in our relationship, then we need to be active in coming against the pressures and the demands of life and to find a time and a place where we can simply just be alone with Jesus. And yes, in that time, we can talk to him about what we need. We can talk to him about our problems. We can talk to him about our heartaches. We can talk to him about what it is that we long for him to do. Because he cares for us and he loves us and so he wants us to talk to him about that. But we don't need to be like the pagans who go on babbling on and on and allow that to dominate our prayers. Because he already knows what we need before we even ask him. So that means we can get past the part of our needs and our problems and our heartaches pretty quickly. We don't need to take a long time on it. And instead of that dominating the way that we pray, we can move on to listening to him and receiving from him, asking him what his agenda is for our time together and how he wants us to pray and just spending time in his presence. And I believe if you get hold of this and if I get hold of this in a, in a deeper way, if we practice it consistently, then it will revolutionize our lives. You see, if our time with God is always dominated by our needs and our wants, our finances, our health, our ministry, if all you ever do is pray that people will be saved, it's a great thing to pray for. Do it. But if all you ever do, you will still feel distant from God and frustrated. 
because we spend hours and hours with him as a business partner. And he wants to be so much more. Ultimately, God is saying that coming to him in prayer is just about coming back again and again and again to making him the one thing. The one that is most important, the one that we, we, we treasure, the one that we love. It's about our personal, intimate relationship with him. So the way that we see ourselves, the way that we face our circumstances, the way that we we deal with our problems all flows from that place, all flows from our relationship with him. You know, the purpose of prayer is not to convince God to do things for you. God has given you the gift of prayer because he invites you into a relationship with him that is characterized by intimacy and connection. And that only happens if we will carve out time away from the demands of life, away from the distractions of your phone, just to be alone with him. You know, this is why in John 15, when Jesus is teaching, he says, We're not to make the priority in our lives seeing results, but abiding in him or remaining in him. And he says, as we prioritize abiding in him, remaining in him, if we prioritize our relationship with him, the results will take care of themselves. You know, I think many of us can probably relate to to the story of Mary and Martha. You know, when Mary's there and she's sat at the feet of Jesus and she's, she's prioritizing and choosing relationship as her one thing. And Martha's so aware of all the demands. She's so aware of all of the, the needs and she's doing good stuff. None of what she's doing is bad. But she's so aware of all of the demands and she's trying to do this and that and she's getting frustrated until Jesus turns to her and, and he says to her, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed. In fact, he says, only one thing is needed. And he says, Mary's chosen the one thing. She's chosen to prioritize relationship with me. It will not be taken away from her. You know, sometimes I think we get the impression that it's all about personality and that Mary just didn't even see the jobs and that some people are wired and they're task-focused and some people are people-focused. But, you know, actually in that passage we read that Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet. It was an active choice that suggests that she's fully aware of everything that needs to be done, but she simply says, it all comes second, because Jesus is the one thing. You know, and as we look to come to Jesus and, and say, teach us to pray, we need to recognize that there will always be demands. Those jobs will always be there. There will always be another need. There will always be another person who's hurt us. There will always be another person who needs to be saved. There will always be all these different things that are pressurizing us and are going on in life with family and friends and everything. It's not going to go away. You might be praying and praying for this one thing that God will do and he does it. All you'll do is move on to the next thing that you pray and pray that God will do. And so in the midst of it, if we want to develop an intimacy with Jesus... 
which is primarily what prayer is all about. It's the heart of prayer. It's the foundation before we move on to anything else. Then we need to be intentional and choose, as Mary did, to carve out time and space alone with him. Not in order to achieve anything. Not just so that we can see results. But simply to spend time with God. And you know, sometimes you'll enjoy it, and sometimes it'll be great, and you'll come away refreshed, and you'll say, why do I do this every day? But being honest with you, sometimes you won't. And sometimes you'll come away from it, and you'll feel like it was a waste of time, and you'll think like, I could have done something so productive. But you know, every time, no matter how you feel coming away from that, it is an investment in your relationship with Jesus. As we look to outwork, you know, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. As we say, that's, that's, you're my one thing. You're the one that I love. And so I'm willing to prioritize time with you, even if I don't see results, even if I don't get anything from it. Because you're my one thing. And it's as we do that that we will see a deepening and a growing in our relationship with him. It's as we do that that we'll begin to see aspects of God and who he is and his character that otherwise we'll always miss out on. It's as we do that that we will discover how to live life in a way that everything else flows from that place of abiding with Jesus. And so in a world that constantly pulls us towards productivity and distraction, As we say, Jesus, teach us to pray. One of the most important things that I need to learn and that I think all of us probably need to learn is simply how to prioritize our relationship with him above getting things done. And to help me with that, I want to just leave you with a couple of practical kind of suggestions, different things that might help. And, you know, last time when I was speaking, I said, choose a time. This time I want to say, choose a place. Because if you will find and plan in a time and a place where you can get away from the demands, get away from your phone, get away from all the different things that are going on that distract you and that pull at you, whether it's in your house or it's up on the clay trails or out on the coast path, it will make the world a difference. Now, it might not be comfortable because you'll be forced to to stop and forced to face how you're really doing and what's really going on and, and to process some of that. But as you come to God as who you are and you meet with him, he will come and draw close to you in the midst of it. And you will discover more about who he is and how he wants to work in your life and you will grow in your relationship with him in a way beyond anything you've known before. Second thing that I, I want to, is what I'm going to call pray, read the Bible. And, um, you know, sometimes when we take time out to pray, particularly if it's not something that we're used to doing or if it's always been dominated by our needs and we kind of think, well, how on earth do I move beyond that? It, it can be hard sometimes and we, to know, well, what do I pray? How do I pray? What does this even look like? And one of the things that I think is a great thing to do and that I found real life in it at different times is, is simply to pray, read the Bible. And what I mean by this is in that time, When you come to God, start by opening up your Bible and basically saying, God, I want you to set the agenda for what I pray about. 
And so you, you start to read his word, what it is that he's saying. And then as you come to different points about who he is or what it is that he's going to do, you're not trying to get through a passage and say, well, I've read my two chapters today. You pause at every opportunity and you simply take time to pray, God, that's amazing. You say you're this. Will you show me more of what that looks like, more of what that means? Or oh God, you, you, you say that, that you love me in, in a way that is beyond anything that I can understand. But Jesus, I don't feel like it. So will you come and fill me with your love? Or oh God, you say that you want to outwork your kingdom in a way where we see, see healings and, and miracles, but I don't see it. So God, will you come and move in that kind of a way and allow him to, to set the agenda? So that you, when you come to God in prayer... It's not just all about you, but it revolves around him. And then the last thing is just a plan in time to wait. And this is probably the hardest bit because it can feel awkward and it can feel unnatural because we're just used to being active all the time and being filled all the time and having things that we're reading or watching or listening to just constantly. And so having empty space can feel really awkward for us. But plan in time when you're not talking to God about anything and you're just waiting on him. Just spending time with him. And at first, your body and your brain will probably be agitated. But as you practice this and spend time like this, you'll find that that starts to change. And it gets easier. And, you know, and I think waiting on God is important. You know, Isaiah writes, doesn't he? Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Well, one of the things that we see in Isaiah, if you read it in the different translations, is you quickly get the idea that this isn't just a passive waiting of allowing time just to pass. That's a waste. But this is an active waiting. Because in the other translations, we see him say not just wait, but hope and trust. So those who wait, those who hope, those who trust, those who actively posture themselves to say, God, I'm anticipating you. I'm looking to you. You're my one thing. I know you're the answer. You have everything that I need. And so I am coming to you knowing that nowhere else will do. And I am waiting. This is an active waiting, an anticipation, an expectation that he's going to do something, that he's there, that he loves you. When we put our hope and our trust in God and we wait on him in that kind of a way. I believe over time we will begin to see him renew our strength. We will begin to see the, the, the burdens and the sense of th- that life is overwhelming begin to be dealt with and to fade away because as we carve out this space, it will begin to put things in perspective. It will begin to put things in their place. We'll say, I'm not going to be ruled by these things. Because Jesus is my one thing. So just carve out, even if it's only a couple of minutes as you start, just two minutes, five minutes, whatever you know, it is. But you know, to be honest, I find that if I only do five minutes, it's five minutes of frustration. But if I do 20, by the time I get through maybe the first 10, I finally get to a place where I feel like I'm waiting on him and not just trying to... <laughs> shut down my brain of all the things it's thinking about. But, but it doesn't need to be a long time. But whatever it is that you want to plan, and just plan in this week some time to stop and to fix your eyes on Jesus and do nothing else but actively wait on him. You know, God is asking you today, when are we going to get some time together? 
And it's not a loaded question as he tries to bring an accusation that makes you feel guilty and bad. He's not trying to bring up your past and make you feel like you're not enough. He's simply inviting you and saying, I'd love to get some time with you. And yeah, come and bring those needs. Come and talk to me about the problems. I care about you. I love you. I want to help you in those things. But, but let's just get some time together too. Without an agenda. Without productivity. And we can just enjoy each other. And I can lavish my love on you. And you can pour out your praise to me. And as we do that, then we will grow in deep and intimate relationship with Jesus, then we'll find that he's not this distant God who we're frustrated about not seeing things happen with. But he's close, and he's with us, and he loves us, and he cares for us. Why don't we pray?